Good morning. I want to do one more day on the discernment, the spiritual discernment of Jesus, particularly as we see it in his last week of public ministry, uh, which we call Holy Week. So I've been taking the the narrative that, that Mark gives us in chapters 11 and 12 and talking about the way that, that Jesus' indifference to anything but the Father's will, what the Father was saying, what the Father was doing, resulted in these prophetic actions that had major significance, that had incredible impact, not only on the people of Jesus' day, but also upon his disciples and on his his teaching of his disciples. And so when we see these, these three prophetic acts in these first two days of Jesus' last week, we see something about what's required then of a disciple. Because everything that Jesus asks you to say, or anything that Jesus is prompting you to do by his Spirit, has, as a characteristic, it, that's what the prophetic action is. Uh, prophecy doesn't make things happen. Prophecy is a, either a speaking of the truth, and it can, of course, be about the future, but normally it's not about the future. Uh, Paul talks about prophecy as building up, edifying, encouraging. Paul talks about prophecy as Uh, laying bare the secrets of people's hearts. You see, what Jesus wants to do is he wants to give you wisdom. He wants to give you understanding. He wants to give you spiritual discernment or spiritual sightedness. And so these three prophetic acts and how we're to respond to them helps us to understand how to how to gear our lives, how to, how to tune ourselves to the Spirit of Christ so that we can begin to see effective things happen through us, through our words, through our actions. He said the very things he did, he wants you to do. And even greater things because he goes to the Father. So if you think about the triumphal entry, one of the things that, that had to be... Uh, a response needed to be a response of disciples, of followers of Jesus, was that they there's a welcoming, a welcoming of our King. In a way, this could be the beginning of each day for you, that you welcome the King. And, and how did they welcome him? With praise. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even in a way, the word, the, the phrase or word Hosanna, the idea of Lord save us, is actually a very uh, honoring request to begin your day or, or to stop at any point in your day and say, Hosanna, Lord save me. Because we don't honor God by trying to save ourselves. We honor God by letting God be our Savior. We honor God by by putting before him the things that trouble us, the things that are obstacles to us, and letting him save us. 
Uh, one theologian said it this way, how do you honor a fountain? Not by bringing the fountain water, but by drinking the water of the fountain, by drawing water from the fountain. So, in a way, you cannot have this kind of dynamic encounter with you know, prevailing over evil unless you're first welcoming the king who has overcome evil and who can overcome evil in your life. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means he's going to come in to cleanse your temple. That, that the temple that he cleanses will be yours. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's, he, if you welcome the king in and you say, save me, then he's going to overturn anything that's in the way, anything that's taking up space that should be his, he's going to rightfully overturn. Which means that first we welcome him with praise. Secondly, we welcome his cleansing of, his, of our temple, our lives. And then we allow him to address what needs addressing. Now, here, here is, this is probably a very important concept that growing up, uh, I, I watched and observed carefully preaching and teaching. And most of what I heard was always behavior management. It was not, it was not really understanding that the behaviors that make you ashamed of yourself or the behaviors that in some ways you want to change are symptoms. You see, Jesus isn't going to just address the symptoms. He's going to address the root. He's going to go after the need you're trying to meet through this illegitimate means. He's going to go after the wounding and bring his love to bear on the wounding. This is why a lot of times when people have done bad behavior or they've made bad choices, they'll, they'll try to atone by saying, I'll, I'll change, I'll do better, I'll, I'll make up for this. Not recognizing that the truth, whatever the, the behavior was, the decision was, was sin after the fact. That there was a sin behind the sin. And at the root of it is always this. There's some place manifesting in, in anxiety, manifesting in anger, depression, manifesting in fear, manifesting in lust. There, there's, there's, an, there's an issue that at some place you still have not allowed God to be ultimate. And at some place there's an idol where God should be. So if we welcome him as our king and we say, Lord, save us, Hosanna, he's going to cleanse the temple. And when he cleanses that temple... He's going to address not just the outward behavior. Remember, the fig tree had nice leaves, but the issue was it had no fruit. The temple had lots of religious busyness, but it was corrupt. It was disordered. And again, I go back, Augustine's uh, definition of sin is a disordered heart with disordered loves. So anywhere that behavior is manifesting, anywhere that attitudes are manifesting that are ungodly, not Christ-like, you don't just change the behavior. The behavior is telling you there's a root issue. So the king who loves your heart is going to go after the heart. 
not just the behavior. But you see, as you allow that to happen, as you, you really get comfortable with Jesus being the king of your heart and the cleanser of your temple and the one who can address your deepest needs, your life becomes much more like Jesus. Now, if you come from a charismatic background, a Pentecostal background, speaking of the prophetic is, is easy for you. But if you come from a traditional, evangelical, more you know, Reformed or Wesleyan background, it's almost like the, the prophetic aspect is relegated to, you know, to first century and Old Testament. But if we could get rid of some of the stigma and, and misunderstanding about the prophetic, we would realize that that's, it's what we need today. That same prophetic edge that Jesus brought into Jerusalem in that final week it's what we need today. Now, we don't need a false or counterfeit prophetic. We don't need people predicting things that aren't going to happen. But we need this aspect of penetrating and dynamic confrontation with the forces of evil and the obstacles to the advance of the gospel and advance of the kingdom of God. And the only way for that to be so is if the disciples of Jesus are welcoming this aspect of Jesus's ministry into our own lives. Jesus always functions in your life, in my life, as prophet. He's the word of God. Priest. He's our high priest ministering, even now interceding for us to the Father and King. And so as we are operating as his disciples, his ministry his priestly ministry, his prophetic ministry, his kingly ministry, by his spirit, those gifts and the gifts of the spirit are allowing us also to operate as his representatives, as his ambassadors, Paul says, in those areas of prophet, priest, and king. And, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a stretch that, that has to be supernatural. It has to be led by the Spirit in the same way that Jesus himself was indifferent to anything but his Father's will. We have to also begin to be indifferent to anything but the will of the Father. And then we'll have the wisdom to operate in those same gifted ways as Jesus. In a way, the, the Holy Spirit's gifts to the disciples is that the Spirit-equipped, Spirit-filled ministry that Jesus did, the Spirit now gifts us to have the same ministry abilities as Jesus. But again, it isn't talent. It's not that you don't work at it and learn from others and get skilled in it, but it is a gift. And it is the gift of the presence and of the Holy Spirit, which means an attentiveness the disciples have to what Jesus wants to do through his spirit in us. Again, I remind you that it was astonishing to the disciples that Jesus could operate in such power that the, one day he spoke to the fig tree and said, "You will ne- no one will ever eat from you again. And then the next day they come back and Peter sees that it has, it has withered all the way to the root. And Jesus, you see, begins to speak of how do you have that kind of impact? 
again, I, I, I know, you know, this is theological, but it's so important. The, the way that Jesus is going to have you operating supernaturally is within the same manner that he operates, prophetically, priestly, kingly. So there's going to be places of authority. There's going to be places of not only intercession, but of, of, of being a go-between, being a mediator, that God is going to do things through you for others like a priest would do. But there's also this aspect where he wants to personalize and, then, and, and verbalize for you his will, his work in such a way that you receive it and you act on his behalf. If you want to, you know, you want to take away the word prophetic from that, but here's the basic sense of it. God, through his spirit, verbalizes, even personalizes for you words and actions to accomplish his will. These, it, Jesus himself said, I only do what the Father's doing. You see, he's, 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 he's honed in on what the Father's doing. I only say what the Father is saying. That's how you become tr- truly effective. Now, I, I like, because I think it's the New Testament sense of the prophetic. So I like the thought of it being prophetic. I like the thought of us as a church being a prophetic community. Again, not because it gives us glory, but because we begin to see the effectiveness of the word and the actions of God being lived out through his people. And here's all, Jesus says, here's the requirement for that in this you know, Mark 12 passage. He says, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for you. Then he takes it specifically into our prayer life. And he says, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. There's, a, there, there's power to prevail in Jesus' teaching here to his disciples. It's a prophetic power to prevail. The problem for some people is they take this out of context. Don't, don't look at the whole thing. They just look at the power part. Oh, look, if I just believe something and if I keep believing it, it has to happen. That is not what's being said here. Faith in the scriptures is never the cause of anything. Faith in the scripture is the means it's like the hand that receives the gift, but it is, not, it is not the cause of the gift. It is not the power of the gift. So what Jesus is really saying is, he knows the Father so well, and he knows the will of the Father, and he's indifferent to anything but the will of the Father, so that when he prays, he's praying the Father's will, and because it's the Father's will, it will come to pass. And all that's required of him, since it is the Father's will, is to believe and to pray. So he's saying that when you face an obstacle like a mountain, they have to be addressed. But they have to be addressed, if you want to see the mountain move, you want to see the obstacle overcome, 
then they have to be addressed in the right way. Notice, notice the heart condition even for praying. Before you even pray that the mountain move, he starts talking about forgiving. And you, you understand, if you're in unforgiveness and you're praying revenge and you're praying hate and you're praying anger, the mountain's not going to move because, uh, because you're in the wrong position. You're angry, you're fearful, you're full of, you know, vengeance, whatever it is. And, and you can't say to that mountain move. Jesus wasn't angry at the fig tree in the sense of, uh, uh, you know, cursing the fig tree because it didn't have any figs. The fig tree was an, was an object lesson. It was a prophetic lesson. Here it looks perfect, but it has no figs. So he had to teach his disciples about authority, and he had to show the disciples the power that came with his authority. You and I, he's saying, you could have a mountain of fig trees. It could be as big an obstacle as come, and if you address it correctly, if you understand, again, the the verbalized expression of the Father's will, what he wants to say, what he wants to do, and you are tuned in to do it, then no obstacle can stand in your way. But you have to begin to welcome that kind of work, the kind of work of the Father in your life. You have to welcome His will. You have to begin to welcome the Holy Spirit's promptings, His nudges, His leanings. You have to know His word and His will. Some people will say, well, I, I think God told me to do this, and yet it'll be completely against the will of God as it's written in the scripture. Or somebody say, I, I felt like I needed to do this, but all their friends and their family said, no, that's a bad idea. Some people rush out to do things, never getting an inner testimony of the Holy Spirit in their heart, never getting a sense of, of release and peace. See, Jesus isn't saying you just willy-nilly say to every obstacle, get out of my way. He's saying, no, you go to the Father and you ask the Father, what's your will about this obstacle? And what happens sometimes is the obstacle is a person and they've hurt your feelings or they've betrayed you or they've done something to you. And Jesus says, before you can move the mountain, you've got to forgive. The heart has to be cleansed. The temple has to be cleansed of unforgiveness. Well, if you welcome, though, this kind of prophetic action, this prophetic work of the Holy Spirit, mountains get moved. A writer said it this way, Many mountains obstruct the progress of God's work. They are there by default, and the blame is on us. As long as the mountains persist, we will never be able to see what God has for us on the other side. Our calling and function is not to replace God, but to release the power of God, to release God into our obstacles. We do nor do we have do we have to overcome any reluctance on God's part. God's not reluctant to move the mountains for us. It is rightly said, without God man cannot. So you begin to understand that there are things that are in your life that can be moved, but you have to be in position with the Father where you know his heart. And you begin to operate like Jesus did and saying, my faith isn't the cause because without God, I can't move this mountain. 
But because God has called me to move this mountain and speak to this mountain, nothing is impossible for God. And God will do it because he's asked me to do it. See, the sequence here is that the command of faith is, is as big a part of the prayer life of the believer as petitioning or supplication. One of the things that, um, one of the people that really ministered to Lisa and me was Wesley Duell. And he wrote, he said, to prevail is to be successful in the, pe- in the face of difficulty, to completely dominate, to overcome and triumph. Prevailing prayer is prayer that pushes right through all difficulties and obstacles, drives back all the opposing forces of Satan, and secures the will of God. Its purpose is to accomplish God's will on earth. Prevailing prayer is prayer that not only takes the initiative, but continues on the offensive for God until spiritual victory is won. Hopefully... Because so many of you are committed to doing this devotion with me each morning, hopefully, what you're realizing and why we're doing this, why I do this each morning, is we're in a season where as believers, we must be able to speak to mountains and have them move for the sake of our families, our church, our community. That we cannot be people who just offer very flatline prayer, perfunctory, and expect that the impossible is going to be done. I mean, these are days where believers have to enter into the same kind of prophetic, and I hope you'll take that word the way I'm intending it, but prophetic ministry in prayer. Not just interceding that God would do something, but hearing from God what we are to say and what we are to do because what we say and what we do will release God's power to move the mountains. I mean, the truth is, when we look at Jesus and his spiritual discernment, he had an answer for every opponent. I mean, you and I have been given a promise by Jesus that he will speak by his spirit, even for us to those who are opposing us. The religious leaders could not trap him. The more difficult their question, the more he embarrassed them, to tell you the truth. He didn't run away from the conflict. He he was not anxious You see, because again, that idea of discernment, he only cared about what his father's will was. So he wasn't trying to figure out what they wanted him to say. And he wasn't trying to figure out how to control their response to what he said. This is what most of us do. We we speak not necessarily the truth or the whole truth, and we're not necessarily honest, We are often thinking of how will this person respond if I say this? Or how can I get this this result or this outcome or this response instead of being able to share freely the truth? 
Jesus, only thinking of, of the Father's will, had the wisdom then, because he wasn't being pulled by people-pleasing, and he wasn't being pulled by the approval of these leaders. He was speaking the truth, but he was also speaking the truth in love. How do I know he was speaking the truth in love? Because Jesus is the only one who dies for villains. He was dying for the very ones who were trying to kill him. He was dying for the very ones who wanted to destroy him. Now, I said this week that Jesus made a promise. And he said, you, you're going to face opposition. He told his own disciples, his 12 in the book of Matthew. But he says, do not be anxious. See, being anxious about how people are going to respond to you closes you down from spiritual discernment. It shuts down your ability to hear from God. Worrying about their response. Will they approve of me? Will they like me? Will they come against me? He said, he said they're going to come against you. And he, and he really was explaining, beginning the explanation, of that even when you're facing these difficult trials, the Spirit will speak through you. But how does that happen? Well, it fits, but we go right back to what he said about the mountain moving. I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. See, the issue is, is the heart in line, is the heart in tune with the will of the Father. Then you'll know, the Father will give you what to say. The Father will give you what to do. And as you're doing it, it may create situations that feel like they're out of control. But since the Father gave you the words and the Father gave you the actions, then the Father himself will be the defender. And you can have no better defender than the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When I first started really listening to what the Spirit wanted me to speak. And the first time I was really facing opposition, I was explaining this this week, is the first time I had to just be silent. Because as I began to teach on spiritual warfare, as I began to do deliverance in the church that I was pastoring, it really upset a lot of people. Split the church and uh, made people in the denomination I was a part of very nervous. And so I always felt like I could defend myself, but the Spirit said, no, keep quiet. Even as Jesus was quiet before his accusers, keep quiet. Well, one of my mentors during that time I was spending a good deal of time with was Neil Anderson, who wrote the Bondage Breaker book. So Neil would call us all the time and check on us. And, you know, because he felt like, you know, it was his, the steps of freedom was what we were using, the bondage breaker, his, his materials, what we were using, and it caused this big church split. So he would call, it was very pastoral to me. And I asked him, uh, because there were a lot of people really angry at him and angry in his ministry. And I said, how do you deal with all these people who are constantly criticizing you? And I said, most of the critiques are just totally wrong. They, they paint you, you know, they lie about what you actually teach. They misinform. They do all this. And he said, if I stop 
to answer my critics, it'll stop the ministry that I'm doing to help people who want help. And he said these words that I've never forgotten. He said, I, I just have learned to outdistance my critics. Now, that was his way of saying, I am indifferent to anything but the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is expressed in Isaiah, Isaiah where he says, set the captives free, the release of the prisoners, and proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. There will always be critics. There will always be opponents. And yet, what we found was, as that was happening, we needed to just keep doing what the Father had us doing. And it was really powerful as Lisa and I did this together, and we did this, we did this ministry, and we began to help people in so many ways, is that we had to keep short accounts of those who were attacking us and we had to forgive them and we had to love them. And we couldn't do that without, without a prayer life, without being really honest at how much it hurt to see friends betray us, to see people lie about us. But you see, all of these things go together. Prevailing prayer comes as you welcome the, our, our true king, the Lord Jesus, who has all power. Prevailing prayer comes as you say, and, and you don't have to use the word prophetic. I, I think it's the most accurate word. But it's the idea of if the king is coming to your heart, he has a word for you. If the king is coming to your heart, he has actions for you. And his power will be released when you're obedient. When you're, in a way, you become the mediator. That's, that's what I mean by prophetic. His verbalized expression of his will starts to flow through your words and through your actions. And that makes an incredible impact. But Jesus said, you don't have this authority if you don't know the Father. You don't have this authority unless you know the will of God, which means the heart has to be free from the entanglements of bitterness and guilt and shame. And it has to be in tune with the very heart of God. It's, it's interesting as you know, I finish out this week with you. The disciples almost disappear in this section of Mark. Their, their responses are weak, ineffective. They're not getting what Jesus is doing. They, in many ways, they don't get what Jesus is doing until they get filled with the Holy Spirit. But there are, there are people around that give us the truest responses. So Jesus is in the temple with his disciples and he sees a widow and she gives all that she has. She gives everything that she has and Jesus notes her and says, that's a woman with spiritual discernment. That's a woman indifferent to anything but the Father's will. And then in chapter 14, there's a woman who comes and extravagantly worships Jesus with perfume that's a year's wages. And she anoints him for his burial. She anoints him. That perfume has always been powerful to me because you, you know when he, when he was bleeding, when he was sweating, when he was on the cross, when he, was, when he was at his worst, because that was such a costly perfume, because it was such an expensive perfume, even in the midst of his suffering, he could, spit, he could smell the the ointment, the anointment.
See, that's how the disciples should have responded. They should have given everything, like the widow who gave her all. They should have given extravagant worship. Do you know what they did? They criticized the woman. Why are you wasting valuable money? Could have been given for the poor. Only two women, out of all of the people that he encountered, there are only two women that we know of that actually responded with spiritual sightedness. The widow and the woman with the costly perfume. You begin to realize you cannot have the power of a disciple. You can't have the impact. You can't prevail as a disciple unless you're willing like the widow to sacrifice and willing like the woman to make Jesus ultimate and be extravagant in your worship. That's the real response of a discerning disciple. Let's do that together. This season, nothing less than prevailing disciples are required. In Jesus' name, amen.